Well, good morning. Good morning. We are wrapping up a series of, a uh, short series of three messages on the nature of God. Two weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday, Pastor Greg talked about the Holy Spirit and his refreshing and re-energizing presence in our lives, in the church, in the world. And last week we talked about the person of God's son, Jesus, and Pastor Greg and Andy Pasek, our youth director, talked to us about the work of Jesus, his place in the world, and Andy unpacked four ways in which we are blessed by Jesus, God's only son. And then today I get to wrap up that series by talking with you about the person of God, God our Father on Father's Day. Kind of appropriate, I think, to spend time thinking about the Father that we all have rather than the Father that may be unique to you or to me. So if I ask you, tell me about your father, you could describe him in a variety of ways, I think. I think there are probably the most telling descriptions of father come from children themselves. I love the video in which the essence of father is captured by all of those words when we cry out dad or daddy or father. And we get the picture of who that person is and what that person does and what he means in our lives. Each of us has a unique experience of our Father. When we talk about God our Father, we recognize that we're using language that for much of this world's history would not have been applied to the person of God. When you look at this book, the Bible, you find that God is frequently referred to as Father, but in the first 39 books of this Bible, the, what we call the Old Testament, there are only 15 places in which, as far as I could count, he is referred to as Father, and no one directly refers to him as our Father or my Father. It simply was not done. So for thousands of years, people gathered in places like this to worship a common God would not say our Father. They didn't think of him that way. And then... Everything changed when the only begotten Son of God came into the world. Because in the next four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 165 times from the lips of Jesus alone, we hear the word Father. And you recognize suddenly everything is different. Someone, and we talked about him last week, has come into the scene who has a relationship with that creator being, the father of the nation of Israel, the father of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and so on. But he has a unique relationship that lets him address him in a unique way. And not only does he address him in a unique way as father, but he invites us, imagine this, to address him in a unique way. Our father, the father of Jesus, is our Father through the blood of Jesus. So what I want to do with you is take just a few moments this morning and look at one sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus talks about our Father. And there are lots of descriptions. He uses the word frequently in this short sermon. So I, I simply want to lift out like a half dozen thoughts that Jesus has about the Father that could speak to us on Father's Day. And um, a Father's Day sermon isn't just for fathers. You understand that, right? This is for mothers. This is a Mother's Day sermon. This is a Kid's Day sermon. It's a Grandpa's Day sermon. 
Grandma's Day sermon, these are words for all of us about a father that we share in common. So we're going to move to a hillside outside um, the uh, Sea of Galilee up on the north end, and it slopes up gently, and we're sitting together with the disciples in a field of flowers, and uh, there's a crowd around us, and Jesus sits down, and he begins to talk, and he begins with these words, blessed are, and then you know the the uh, Sermon on the Mount and the blessings that Jesus gives. And then he says things like, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And he begins to talk to us about a father and our relationship with him. So his first reference to father in the Sermon on the Mount comes when he says, you're the light of the world. City on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. They put it on a stand so that it can give light to everyone in the house. And then look at these words. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Get the import of that. My work can bring praise to my Father. Now, usually I think, and you probably do too, of that the other way around. That is, as a father, I want to hear good things about my kids. I mean, it's, it's great, isn't it, when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I saw your daughter. She is such a neat kid. I really appreciate her. Or I think your son is a wonderful. I, we love that kind of stuff as parents and grandparents. Well, Jesus takes that same thought and that same instinct. He turns around and he says, you have a heavenly father who wants to hear you've got a great father because they're seeing who you are as his child. That's revolutionary, I think. That I could somehow, by the way I live, and you could somehow, by the way you live, as children of God, bring praise to the father that he would somehow receive something because of who I am and what I do. A father who longs to be praised by his children. A father who longs to be introduced to your friends through your behavior, which is so compelling that they say, I want to meet your dad. Introduce your friends to your father through your behavior. That's the gist, I think, of what Jesus says about the father who is praised through the deeds of of his children. The reason we're lights in this world, the reason we're a light as a church, isn't for us to shine more brightly. It's to reflect the brilliance of the Father who shines his light on us. So in our purpose to be God's shining light in the western suburbs and beyond, as well as living water, we want the reflection, our light to be the reflection of his divine light so that when God sees what goes on here and when God sees what goes on here, he receives the praise that is his alone. Now, if that were not enough, Jesus goes on to say something even more challenging about the Father. Look at these next words. Um, he said, you've heard it was said to people long ago, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, and then look, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Wow. God loves unlovely and unlovable people. And he treats unlovely and unlovable people in the same way with those he loves in a redemptive way. You know, um, it would seem fair, would it not, if the sun were always shining on the Christian community and the Christian church and everywhere else it was like February in Michigan, you know, <laughs> uh, just dark and short days and kind of gloomy and you can't wait for spring. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it seem fair if like San Diego were the world in which all God's people lived in and all people who did not know God lived in dark and unpleasant places, but that's not the way it works. Jesus is your father sends the same sun on people who don't deserve it, and who of us does, friends? Come on. And who don't love him as he does on people who truly love him. He waters the same gardens of those who are far from him as he does those who belong to him. There is this common grace of Almighty God that floods the earth with his presence so that all people benefit from the fact that there is a Father in heaven. And God says, if that's the way he treats those who do not love him, that's the challenge for you, his daughter, and you, his son, for you, a father, and you, a mother, and for me. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. Because that's the way God's children have learned to behave watching their father. That is a huge, tall order in our world. Because you and I know, and you know we're a Christian community, right? You and I know there are people in this world, and they may be here by the millions, who hate us. And who hate what's going on at this moment. Who desire nothing more than our destruction. And there are times when I read about those things and hear about those things that the stuff kind of boils up inside of me and I'm drawn back to that hillside where Jesus looks me right in the eye and he says, you know, you can love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. Pray for your persecutors. Then your children of your Father in heaven because that's the way he deals with those far from him. Pretty challenging. Now, if that's not enough, comes these words that <laughs> I think when the disciples heard this, they said, seriously? Are you kidding me? Look at these next words. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the challenge of being a father. And that's the struggle some of us have when we're thinking of our own fathers. We know they're not perfect. And as a father, I know I'm not perfect. And there's not a man here, honestly, who would say, well, I'm a perfect father. I'm a perfect man. I am perfection. We know we're not. In fact, some of us struggle with the whole idea of fatherhood because of the imperfections of our father that are so glaring we can't get past them. And on Father's Day, we're asked to celebrate something that is so imperfect and painful. We just have a hard time doing it. Because he's not perfect. And the way he treated me was imperfect. 
and he's not the man he should have been. And he wasn't the husband he should have been. He wasn't the father he should have been. He wasn't the provider, all of that stuff. We know the imperfections that not only rest on some of us, but are part of all of us. And then the words, be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect? What is that about? Thanks be to God, friends. Thanks be to God that God not only demands perfection, God provides perfection. Amen? He not only demands it, he provides it in the person of Jesus Christ. A perfect, sinless son of God who shoulders every fatherly, motherly, every human imperfection and pays that price so that there is hope for people like us who read words like these. I don't need to be perfect so that I can have a father. I have a father, a perfect father. I just want to be more like him. I want his perfection to be mine. I want the good of him to be my good. And even though I know I'll never get there this side of the world, I know there is one who paid the price for all that remains imperfect so that when he sees me, he still calls me son. He calls you daughter. He calls us his children. I don't have to accept the challenge to be perfect apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And I can say that because of what Jesus also teaches further in this same sermon. Look what he has also to tell us about the person of Jesus and forgiveness. He says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, he's now teaching us how to pray. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. God is a forgiving God. And when we pray, as we're taught to pray, forgive our sins or forgive our debts, God hears that and sincerely grants that request. And the demonstration of our sincerity in asking that of Father is seen in our willingness to forgive like we've been forgiven. That's the challenge, right? The wonder is he forgives me and I need it. I'm not perfect. But the challenge is be forgiving. Most of the time I think I'm doing all right in that uh, regard, you know, pretty laid-back kind of person and things don't uh, bother me too much. But I was dragging a hose across the parking lot on a hot day last week and I was not liking doing this. And there were a lot of flowers, about an hour and a half on watering these flowers. I don't really care all that much about, truthfully. Um, but, you know, yeah, you know, I say that I do care about. But it was hot, and as I said, hot, I was getting hotter. And you know what happens when I get that way, tired, a little out of sorts? I start not liking people. <laughs> and I'm thinking about people who I think have said something about me I don't like, or they've done something about me I don't like, and I think that long ago that stuff is gone, but the longer I'm out there doing things I don't like, and having a hard time and not enjoying myself, the more this stuff kind of boils up in me until I'm mad about something. What is this about? How does that work? 
Could it be that my understanding of forgiveness is not yet complete? Could it be that there's still a deeper level of resentment or anger or whatever it is that can creep to the surface when the circumstances are right? I think it could be. And I think that in spite of how far you or I may have come in, in this forgiveness business of being able to let things go, the reality is it remains a challenge for us. And I'm asking God, God, this is what I want. And I don't want it so that I can be forgiven. I, want it. I know I am, and I know the challenge is for me to reflect what I am, a forgiven, perfected child by grace in Jesus Christ. It is what I want. Please help me get there. Please help me get there. I'm asking you, Father, as a father, help me get to where I want to be. Forgive my sins like I forgive those of others. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount hits even, I think, more deeply at some of us when he moves to a whole other subject about this father business. He talks about being careful when you do acts of righteousness. He says, be careful when you do acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Um, what's he talking about? Well, he says, you've got to be careful when it's offering time in the church and you make sure that everybody around you can see what you drop on the plate or what you don't drop on the plate for that matter, that um, you make sure everybody knows your contribution to what happens during the offering? He goes on to say, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And he talks about giving, and he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. And he says about those things that there is a father who's aware of it. Look, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Are you watching what I'm doing? If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. If my thought is, are you watching me while I'm doing this? How am I looking? How's it going? It means nothing to God. Your father, this is what he says about um, uh, giving, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The, the father sees what's done in secret. And then prayer. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God sees what we're doing when we think nobody sees or when we hope everybody sees. He sees. He knows. And he not only sees what we do, he understands perfectly the motivation behind our actions. God sees and knows. I love this thing about prayer. God sees me when I'm praying. He knows what's going on when I'm praying. And he says, you don't have to pray in such a way everybody around you knows. And I, I love to, you know, check out the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to go on and on and on and on in prayer, Jesus says. He says, pagans do that. They think you've got to tell God everything because he knows nothing. Your father knows what you need before you ask him, but you've got to ask him. I love that thought. So uh, one of our families was having dinner on the West Coast. I love the, the story told me by a dad um, just a couple weeks ago. And 
it was a family gathering. There were a large table full of family, not just a husband, wife, a couple of kids, the extended family. They're having this big dinner at a very nice restaurant, and they all enjoy themselves and at the bow together and have a word of prayer, as is their custom in restaurants. Um, and then they ate dinner, and he went up to pay the bill, and the um, wait person said, oh, your bill has been paid. He said, my bill has been paid? What? By who? He said, by the gentleman over there. So he went over to talk to this man. He said, you paid my bill. Why did you do that? And this gentleman said, um, and he said, you know, we're perfectly capable of paying our own bill. And the gentleman said, well, I know that, but my wife and I decided long ago that prayer was so important that if we ever saw a family praying together at a restaurant before a meal, we were going to pick up the tab. Now, um, Celia and I often pray in restaurants before we eat, and I have to tell you that, <laughs> you know, it's like, are you watching? Should we order dessert? <laughs> you get the point. If, if that's the kind of thing we do, whether it's praying no matter what we're doing, because I want you to know how good and how godly and how right I am. It is meaningless to God. It doesn't matter what you think. God thinks nothing of it. Your Father knows what you're doing and why you're doing it. So, uh, so it is. Well, the last thing I want to say about um, the Sermon on the Mount, check this out for yourself, these Father words. And it is an issue that is recurrent in um, our life and has so much to do with being a father. And it has to do with worry. It has to do with worry. Jesus says, you know, um, why do you worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear? Why do you worry about those things? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow a reaper store away in barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they? And then when he talks about worrying about clothing, he says, pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. God knows what you need. And if we, though we're evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Your Father knows what you need. Your Father has what you need. Your Father will provide what you need. doesn't say want. We get that. What you need. We have a Father who knows our needs and provides our needs. And if you find that hard to believe, open your eyes to the world around you. The world, the world of birds and flowers and a creation that is His given for us, meets our needs. So in the worship meeting this week, Pastor Greg, uh, we're talking about the sermon. He says, so where's the sermon exactly going to land? And I said, well, I don't know. I haven't found a good landing place yet for it. You know, um, how do you bring this thing in without crashing? And uh, Andy Pasick, our youth director, said, you know, you ought to think about the words in John 14 when um, Jesus has said these words, in my Father's house are many rooms, beautiful passage. And then Philip says, oh, 
boy, that's the Father. Show us the Father. We can believe in him. And Jesus said to him these words. I have been you so, with you so long. Don't you understand this? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if anything this morning, in these few moments together, in the Sermon on the Mount about a father said, I want to I see that father. I want to know that father. I want to have that father. Here's how you see him, know him, and have him. It's through the Son, through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God who is everything and become everything that you and I are not so that we may be all that the Father has to give to us, so that when we're together, we can say with conviction, we have a Father, God our Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son. What better place to close than to close with the words that Jesus gave on that Sermon on the Mount by which we are to pray words that are given to a believing community and spoken to a father. So I invite you to pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.